1: welcome back it's recovery sort of i'm jason a guy who
0: doesn't gamble very much and i'm billy i'm a person in long-term recovery
1: and we're joined today by will who is a guy in long-term recovery for both alcohol and gambling that's his uh titles not mine i'm not putting that on him but i'll I'll let him introduce himself more fully welcome will
2: hey thank you so much i appreciate you all having me today um my name is will henman i'm with the um Maryland Center incident vectors are problem gambling, is who I work for. I'm a certified peer recovery sports specialist, um, assisting uh problem gamblers. Um, I'm also in long-term recovery for alcoholism. Um, and I'm I'm very heavily involved in both Alcoholics Anonymous and Gamblers Anonymous. Obviously, it's not unusual if somebody calls and they have a gambling problem to have dual addictions or co-occurring issues, mental health issues, or other addictions. So um I'm kind of able to relate on a lot of a lot of different levels um at the end of my recovery or at the end of, when I hit my bottom I was actually suicidal so obviously mm-hmm. mental health is something I can relate to as well.
1: Yeah, so we uh we got in touch with Will because we had our episode with Gamonon which you know was so informative I feel like and and I feel like the maybe the addiction recovery community knows so little about gambling addiction or gam problem, gambling or gambling recovery, uh, that, you know, we were like, man, we need to go further with this. And so we, we reached out and we got put in touch with Will and, and we've had some email correspondence and it just seemed like a great fit for the show. I, I feel like you have so much knowledge about this topic. So, uh, before I, I've already got like, we talked a little bit before we started recording and, and I've already got like 400 questions ready to go. Um, because <laughs> he's mentioned a couple things already, but. I'm going to slow down and be patient. And I'm going to let Will just tell a little bit, you know, five to eight minute version of his story about why he's here and, and what he knows about everything.
2: Okay, I'll just tell, I guess, a little bit of my background and story mm-hmm. if you want to hear that. Um, you, you know, so a lot of alcoholics talk about, you know, how they felt uncomfortable in their own skin. And, uh, you know, I was kind of on the outside looking in. Well, I I remember those feelings, you know, as far back as I can go, you know, three years old, as far as I can remember, just never feeling like I fit in. And sports were my escape. You know, Uh, my parents divorced when I was five years old. Uh, My mom had to move us around a lot of different schools. And, you know, I was one of those kids that just did not warm up easily. You know, it took me a while to make friends. So every time I would start to make friends. I would move into another school. So it just made it very difficult to adjust. I would say sports were always my escape. I love being outside, love riding my bike, playing field basketball, baseball, soccer, you know, um, that was definitely my escape. And um, in high school, you know, I really resisted the urge to uh, drink, you know, even when it started getting introduced to the parties, you know, I guess, I don't know if it's because i Thought it was unhealthy being an athlete or if it's because, uh, I just intuitively maybe knew it wasn't going to be good for me. Um, but I was kind of the kid on the outside watching all the other kids have fun at the parties, you know, and, uh, and then this one, one time I was out with my, my buddy and, uh, you know, I was heartbroken over this girl, my first heartbreak and, uh, you know, and like I said, I was a shy introvert, you know, I was so uncomfortable in my own skin. The girls told me later on, they always thought I was a snob because I would walk around the hallways, you know, with a frown on my face. Mm -hmm. It wasn't because I was a snob. It was because I was, I was paralyzed with fear, you know? And uh, so this one, I was, I was pouring my heart out to this guy and he said, you need a beer. (laughs) I drank three beers, boy. And I thought my problems had been solved. My social anxiety immediately, you know, I loosened up and, I started drinking alcoholically pretty much from the next time I drank on. You know, I was the kid that was sick every single time we went out. They'd be picking me up off the ground at industrial parks and tot lots, you know, and having to get me home. But I loved it, you know, because it it just uh, it just removed all that fear that i had been running from my whole life. And uh, so, of course, you know, at the end of my junior year in high school, I got a job at an Irish pub. And uh, there they taught you to drink like a gentleman. And if you couldn't handle your alcohol at that that job, you weren't going to make it. You know, I I start out as a bar back, and I run behind the bar, and the bartender would slip me a shot, and I just do the shot and just keep on rolling. And um, I ended up working that job for 24 years. You know, yeah. and uh, you know, my parents forced me to get a college education. You know, I I had no dreams or aspirations. I had no faith in myself to do anything. You know, and uh, I managed to 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 graduate from college. But again, I just had no dreams, you know, so I ended up staying at that job for 24 years, I think, because, you know, it made me feel like somebody, you know, it allowed me to live also the way I wanted to live and um, drink the way I wanted to drink and feel normal. And I was introduced to gambling, I think, when I was about 19, 20 years old, I was heading to a New York Giants, uh, Arizona Cardinals game in New York. And a guy said, you know, you can You can uh, call in a bet with this guy if you want, if you want to put some money on the line. And of course, I won both sides of my wager. And and that started a relationship with sports gambling for many years. I was a sports gambler for probably about 23 years. You know, small time. I, I made my first trip to a casino when I was 21 years old. Um, ended up losing way more than I planned to lose. drained my accounts. You know, I was a college kid. My girlfriend was angry with me. I remember peeling out of the parking garage on the way home. I was mad at my buddy because he had won. He had to put gas in my tank on the way home. And that's the way my, you know, my gambling career took off, you know, as far as casino gambling went, but um, I wanted more, you know, I loved, I loved the action. I loved the high that I got from gambling. So I, I would say alcohol, you know, made me feel comfortable in my own skin and gambling was my high in many forms. You know, I I enjoyed gambling no matter what it was. If I was playing pool, I'd have money on the line. If I was playing darts, I'd have money on the line. My buddy and I used to play basketball. We'd shoot best of 10 free throws to see who had to pay for lunch. You know what I mean? Everything I did revolved around gambling. And back then trips to a casino were something I had to plan out. I had to drive three hours to Atlantic City or I'd have to plan a trip to Vegas. You know, my friends and I went to the final four in Vegas, 11 years in a row. We took that trip and we'd go over there and act like kids in a candy factory, running around for three straight days with no sleep. I'd come back broke, busted, disgusted, not able to pay for the cab ride on the way back to the airport. You know, the only year I won out of 11 years going to to Las Vegas was the first year. I lost every (laughs) single year after that. I came back a loser. And it's because it's just like alcohol and drugs. You know, enough is never enough. It, it, It just, uh it didn't matter if I was up at two o'clock in the morning, I was going to sit at the table till the next morning, till they were washing the cards and everybody else had gotten up. It's just the way I was, you know? So that's pretty much my story. In a nutshell, I hit it. I hit it really. Um, well, I, I guess I should go into to my bottom. Um, so what happened was, you know, I ended up marrying the love of my life at the time, you know, everything looked great on the outside, you know, and, um, that pub I told you about that had become my identity shut down in 2011 and you would have thought the world was in it, you know, it's just a restaurant job, you know, but it was my family, you know, it was my network, everybody I knew either came in there, or worked there, you know, and, um, uh, the owner was like a godfather to me, you know, and I didn't know what I was going to do. You know, I was paralyzed with fear of how I was going to, you know, who I was going to become after this. And, uh, And that wife saw this scared kid come out. I started drinking all hours of the day. That's when my drinking really took off. And uh, she didn't like this scared kid she saw. And um, we ended up separating initially because of my alcoholism. Um, I managed to white knuckle 30 days under my belt. I didn't want anything to do with Alcoholics Anonymous because I know they stress total abstinence. I just wanted to learn how to control my drinking and take a break for a while. You know, so I started out doing a couple of smart recovery meetings, you know, once or twice a week, just to tell my, my ex-wife that I was doing something. And, uh, she let me move back in after 30 days. What happened was I ended up substituting one addiction for the other. Um, I started playing online blackjack and poker. Um, like I said, I was a sports and calling in plays. Now I was starting to turn to sports gambling as a financial solution because remember that, you know, that job 24 years is shut down. And, uh, You know, know, I was just here here I am trying to save my marriage and I'd be sitting at the dinner table with my computer playing my poker hands. You know what I mean? (laughs) That doesn't go well when you're trying to save your marriage and you're sitting at the dinner table with your wife and kids with the computer playing poker hands. So what the worst thing happened to a gambler is it was like four o'clock in the morning. I ended up winning this big poker tournament online, like 200 players. I came in first place in the rush you feel when you get to that final table, pushing in all in, all in, all in. And I won, and I ran through the house yelling and screaming, woke up my wife, woke up the kids, told my wife I'm going to be a professional poker player, and she didn't like my new choice of career. <laughs> I woke up the next morning. I got ready to play my poker hands, and I had this note sitting next to the computer, and it said, you got to go. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you have to leave. So she kicked me back out of the house again. And, you know, you give a, a gambler this mentality, they got nothing to lose. That's when it can get really – really dangerous. And right around that time is when the live casinos open in the state of Maryland. So now all of a sudden I got a casino fifteen minutes from my house and uh and I'm thinking I got nothing to lose. I'm losing everything anyway. You know, I'm gonna end up having to split everything with the wife. I'm losing the love of my life. You know, and uh and that's when I said it's go big or go home time. And same thing that happens to a gambler. You know, the first couple of weeks I won big on the, on the, on the blackjack table. I thought I was going to be a professional blackjack player. I was like, this is great. I get to play the game that I love for a living. And the problem with gambling is, you know, it only takes that one bad night. It only takes one bad night. And, uh, and that's what happened to me. You know, I drained all my accounts, cash advances on the card. And, and, uh, that's when it turns into like a drug habit. You know, that's, you go into desperation mode and, um, it gets ugly. You know, a lot of people don't know that gambling's got the highest risk of suicide of any other addiction. They say that 50% of disordered gamblers will have thoughts of suicide. One in five will actually attempt it. You know, it's a, it's a pretty staggering number. And that's exactly what I had. I had a plan in place to take my life at the end. Thank God my buddy was a poker player at the casino. And he knew I was in dire straits. He, he knew I was in desperation mode. And he called to check on me. And I was having a do or die day. I said, if I don't win today, I'm going to kill myself. And I had everything in my car to do it. And uh, he called me and uh, I just told him I was done, you know, and and they say you get kind of this peaceful calm before you commit suicide. Once you, once you make that decision, which what that's what you're going to do. And that's exactly what I had. I, I made my, my decision. That's, that's what I was going to do. And, uh, you know, I had a life insurance policy, so I, I looked at it like my, my family would be better off with me dead than alive because I felt like I was worth more dead than alive. And, uh, thank God he called my uncle and my uncle came to the casino with the police and they, um, I had a divine intervention, you know, they got me help. And, uh, so I was escorted to, you know, a psych ward and, uh, I was under suicide watch for two days. And then I went into another psych ward for five days. And then I went into a 28 day rehab, rec- um, you know, a rehabilitation. And that's where my recovery began. Uh, I was in there. That's also when I was introduced to the center. Um, they had a guy named, uh, the, a guy that came in there that, that does what I do. And he came in and spoke with me and shared his story with me. And he lined it up. So they brought AA meetings into the recovery center. And then he lined it up for a Gambler's Anonymous member to take me to outside Gambler's Anonymous meetings to introduce me to some some problem gamblers. So that was my introduction. Um, you know, the problem is I was doing it to save my marriage because my wife at the time was telling me, I'm so proud of you. We're going to work this out, you know, when you get out. And all my counselors were saying, you can't do this for somebody else. Like, you got to do this for yourself. And I'm like, as long as, as long as I get my family back, I'll be okay. And they're like, you can't do this for somebody else. And, uh, you know, they were right, you know, within two weeks out of rehab, You know, I didn't have any money to gamble. I'd surrendered over the gambling, but I don't think I had convinced myself that I couldn't drink normally at that point. I don't think I had surrendered over the alcohol just yet. I convinced myself the gambling was a problem, but maybe I could go back to drinking. And I relapsed on alcohol, you know, two weeks out of rehab. And and I was right back in that same place where I was going to take my life, you know. And thank God I got the number from a guy, you know, I wasn't sharing in any meetings. I was one of those guys that just showed up And left right after the meeting was over. And I was very rarely sharing. But I was at this one Gambler's Anonymous meeting when they only had like 8 to 10 people around a circle. And each person had to share. So I shared a little bit of my story. And after the meeting, this guy came up to me and said, hey, man, we got real similar stories. If you ever want to talk, give me a call. Here's my number. And uh, I decided before I killed myself, maybe I'll give this guy a call. Because I was completely hopeless and out of ideas. you know, And I was obliterated drunk. I call this guy and he was at my house within two hours with another member from alcoholics anonymous and what i didn't know was he was in both programs he he had struggled with gambling and alcohol you know and um and the crazy thing is his story made mine look like a fairy tale this guy mm. had embezzled 1.1 $1. $1 million dollars from his law firm uh he was losing his wife he was losing his house just like me you know he was he had lost everything he worked for his entire law career He was he had gotten a DUI leaving the casino and was facing and he ran from the police in his car. They had to chase him down. He resisted arrest. So this guy was telling me everything was going to be okay, And I'm like, either this guy is crazy or there's something going on in those rooms I don't know about. He said, I'm telling you, you just take the suggestions, do what they tell you to do and everything's going to be okay. He said, man, I don't have to live as a slave to my addictions anymore. So no matter what happens to me after this, I'm going to be, I know I'm going to be okay. And that guy, you know, he walks the walk, you know, he, he ended up serving 13 months in a federal prison because of embezzlement. Um, You know, he's still paying back restitution and, and, you know, um, the IRS and everything else, but he keeps putting one foot in front of the other. He hasn't had a drink or gambled and, and coming up on nine years now. And it's people like that to really inspire me. And it's, you know, he gave me that little seed of hope that I needed to believe that recovery could work for me. And, and, and I took his suggestions. I got a sponsor. I got a home group. I started working the steps and, uh, and my life became unbelievably better a lot quicker than I thought it could, you know? And I just started walking through my fears and my difficulties and just facing life on life's terms, you know?
1: What a what an incredible story. Thank you for sharing that with us. I'm, I'm curious, uh, one of the first things that jumped out, was the 28-day rehab for the alcohol, or do they have gambling rehabs like
2: that? That's a great question. And this was back in 2013 when gambling was very new to the state, so there wasn't a whole lot of resources for gambling back then. And uh, I'm glad you asked that question. No, that was for – so it was a place called Shoemaker Center, and they were primarily – alcohol and substance abuse but they had agreed to take gamblers as well so I was almost like their test case they had <laughs> apparently just had a gambler a couple of weeks prior but I was the only gambler that they knew of in there you know and of course there's probably other people that were mingling with gambling too but I tell you if when my wife and I when she kicked me out the first time because of my alcohol if I'd gone into rehab then I guarantee you I wouldn't have even mentioned my gambling because at that time the gambling wasn't the problem it was the alcohol that was the problem you know, cause we don't want to give everything up when we're in there. Let me hold on to this one. You know, so as far as I knew, I was the only gambler in there and uh, that's why they had Michael come in and talk to me from the center because they knew they needed to get someone in there. That's that related to me. And he happened to be also in recovery for alcoholism as well. So I was able to relate to him, but that's a great question. No, I was the only gambler in there and it's, it's still very, that mu- very much that way. In the in the state here, um, I, I have two residential um treatment centers I'm able to send gamblers to at no cost there's now no cost treatment in Maryland for any Maryland resident struggling with with gambling and also for their family members believe it or not so we have a list of over 100 outpatient treatment providers I can refer them out to and then we have two residentials I can get them into and it's a fund that's set up through the casinos um it's it's a problem gambling fund and um, their treatment is paid for out of that. So essentially, gamblers are prepaying for the treatment. Obviously, the state makes a lot of revenue off gambling, so it's great they have that fund in place. Because obviously, a lot of times by by the time gamblers get to us, they're broke. You know, they have no money. A lot of times, they may have lost their jobs. They might not have insurance. So at least I can offer them no cost treatment but it's still the same way. It's a lot of substance abuse Mm -hmm. and um, alcohol and very few gamblers in there. And so sometimes there might be one or two other gamblers. Um, There's really only a few that I know of across the country. You know, um, one is called Alchemist in Arizona, I think is primarily for gamblers. Uh, There's a Williamsville wellness in Virginia. That's maybe I think 25% gamblers and 75% substance abuse and mental health issues. But, um, there's not a whole lot out there just for gamblers.
1: Man, who knew while you were at the casino, you had, like, a vacation plan in place. <laughs> right, yeah. I, I didn't know. Uh, they were setting money aside you for You were that. investing in a 2018. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So um, another thing that brings up for me, it kind of ties in. So I, I'm thinking, like... Maybe we don't recognize the need for people who are in addictions that aren't physically dependent, right? You you talk about alcohol and heroin. And you're like, oh, you need to go away for 28 days to get away from the physical dependence. Maybe we don't recognize the need that people who have these other forms of addiction, you know, and we're talking about gambling today, also could use that reprieve and that break from the the stress and the ability to access. And I wonder if that ties into the suicide rate that you mentioned right um i'm thinking like people on you know certain drugs or alcohol it's almost like when we go to face that at some point we can kind of realize oh shit it's because i was under the influence of that thing that's why i was that yucky ugly person that i was whereas like with gambling you kind of don't have that right i mean I think in recovery, you sort of recognize that there's this monster inside you or, or however we want to frame it. But generally, the average guy who's just coming to terms with that, he's just like, he doesn't have the substance to blame it on. He's just feeling like a piece of shit, right? And I'm wondering if that elevates the the uh, suicide rate for that particular form.
2: Oh, without a doubt. You know, I think there's a, a really great stigma attached to gambling, it's also we call it the invisible addiction because it's so much easier to hide. We're not snorting poker chips, so our noses aren't red, <laughs> we're not stumbling drunk, you know what I mean? So we're not we're not stumbling around, you know. So it's very hard to recognize. Um, it's a lot easier to hide, you know. And um, because we're not injecting anything into our bodies, sometimes people don't take it as seriously. Mm-hmm. But they did a brain scan of a gambler and somebody under the influence of cocaine, and they have identical brain scans. It hits mm-hmm. the same pleasure centers, releases dopamine. And that's what makes gambling unique is we get that same high without injecting anything into our bodies. But it's so financially destructive. You know, you, you can only do so much drugs in a night, but you can you can gamble your life away in one night, mm. you know, and come out just devastated the next day, you know, and, and leave there broke, busted, disgusted. I, I know a lot of people in long term recovery from substance abuse and alcohol that got caught in the gambling track. They, they just had no idea that it could get so bad. There's one guy I can think of in particular, that attends meetings with me regularly. And he shared a couple of times. He said, man, all the years I was out there drinking and running and using, he said, I never once thought about suicide. He said, this thing here, I thought about taking my life a bunch of times. He said, if it wasn't for my daughter, I, I know I would have already done it because it's just, it's financially devastating.
0: Yeah. When you talk about the hidden aspects of it, you know, my wife and I were talking about, you know, this episode and and talking about, You know, Gamblers Anonymous, and most of us are in long term recovery. We know a lot of people in recovery, and she had mentioned, you know, yeah, a lot of people will find their way to gambling after they, you know, get into recovery. And then we couldn't name one person that we personally know out of the hundreds of people that we know in recovery, which means they're out there. They're just not like openly admitting it or or there must be shame or stigma behind it that keeps that a secret.
1: I'm actually picturing, you know how the cops pull you over for a sobriety check. I'm picturing they like pull you over at the casino to do like a gambling sobriety check. And they're like, I bet you can't touch your nose. Yeah. <laughs> and if you take the bet, you're a gambler. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, they do actually have a program called game sense, um, which is, I know the MGM here has it in Connecticut. It's real big where they actually go around the casinos and they look for people in distress and they Mm. offer to, you know, Hey, let me get you a meal. Why don't you take a break? It's not hard to tell when, when a gambler's in distress, when they're in the middle of, you know, losing a bunch of money and they're chasing their losses. Um, Forget what I was going to, you were talking about your wife. What I was going to say is your wife and you might not thinking about, think about all the things. So so let me define gambling. Gambling is Mm. risking money or something of value for an outcome that's not guaranteed. So there's a lot of things that fit under gambling that a lot of people don't think about. Obviously, you got casino gambling, sports gambling, scratch-offs, lottery games. I mean, I know some people that have a scratch-off. It's like a crack problem to them. They're like people are out Mm -hmm. running, buying their scratch-off tickets every single day day, or playing their numbers every single day. Um, Cryptocurrency, day trading, falls under gambling and i know a lot of people we're getting more callers calling the 1-800 gambler helpline number they're like i don't know if crypto counts but if that's gambling <laughs> i got a serious problem they're like i put all my money into bitcoin and it's down big time and i don't know what to do Ooh. so that's gambling you know what i mean and i, I know some people that have in dire straits from day trading and playing crypto or buying crypto you know um so there's a lot of things that fit under that definition and there's a lot of high risk groups um veterans can be at high risk a lot of people don't know this but they have they have slot machines on the bases overseas you know and mm. and gambling is proven for traumatic brain injuries and PTSD it really quiets the brain and it, some some people gamble as an escape and it turns into a financial problem seniors can be at high risk they're going through life transitions they might have just lost their loved one you know what I mean? Or maybe they're isolated from their families. or lonely. If you go into a casino, you'll notice that a lot of the people in there are 55 and o- over. And um, it's because, you know, it's it's their escape. It's their escape. And it turns into a financial problem. And, you know, the sad thing is when a senior loses everything, they don't have the rest of their life, you know, a lot of time to get that money back. You know, they're left in a, in a pretty desperate way. So there's a lot of forms of gambling that fit under that definition. A lot of people, I think, don't think of. And you're right, it could be hidden, too. Maybe just people are just keeping it hidden.
1: You know, one of the things Billy's comment brings up for me, because he had told me that before we uh, came onto this call, I know one person with problem gambling that I can think of that's in recovery, and they are in AA. And so what that makes me wonder, like, kind of two things here. One, I wonder if alcoholics have the the space in their life to also acquire gambling as they're going through their alcohol addiction, like kind of with, with drug addiction, there's really not enough space to, to go out and branch out and get some other stuff. Right. So maybe that's a, an inborn thing, to the way they're using that there's room for that. And for most
0: of us all of our money is going to use. Oh it. yeah. <laughs> well, we were you gambling know, like, like
1: is right. this guy going to give me real shit?
0: Great. <laughs> um I don't have an extra 5 for a scratch <laughs> Not <off. laughs> at all.
1: But I also wondered if maybe the culture of recovery is a little different, right? I'm wondering if like gambling isn't more often mentioned in alcohol recovery environments whereas in maybe, you know, other drug recovery environments it's not as talked about a thing. And so maybe people in In like a a NA setting, don't hear about it in meetings, so they don't talk about their own problem or don't even identify their own problem, whereas maybe in alcohol-related recovery meetings, it's much more of a general like, oh, yeah, a lot of us have this problem, too, so we talk about it pretty regularly. What would you say about that?
2: oh without a doubt you know one of my big roles is i take a lot of um problem gambling awareness presentations in the recovery centers mm-hmm. you know and um our clinical manager works really car- hard to make sure they have screening tools so if they're screening for problem gambling you know when when they're screening them and um you know we'll go in there and when i first get into the into the presentation they'll be like why are you here i don't have a gambling problem <laughs> by the end of the presentation two or three of them are sharing about, man, I was buying scratch. offs right before I came here. I was at the <laughs> casino right before I came here. Yeah. Sports gambling has always been a part of my life, you know? So it's just kind of getting them to relate in. A lot of times they don't want to talk about it. They don't want to think about it. Like I said, if I had gone to rehab the first time when I, when I separated from my wife about the alcohol, I would have never even brought the gambling up when I was in rehab. Cause I, that was something I wanted to hold on to. If I'm going to give up the alcohol, I certainly sure, sure don't want to give up the gambling.
1: Right. Do you think you even saw a problem with the gambling at that point?
2: No, I, I think I looked at it as a hobby. You know, mm-hmm. I was a small time player for years. You know, I was still able to pay my bills, you know, but if I look back at all the money that I, I bled away yeah. over the years, it's disgusting. And mm-hmm. more than just the money, the time and the energy that it took for me, you know, Sundays in the bar instead of being home with my kids, you know what I mean? Where I'm hanging at the bars all day with my football pools and watching the games and drinking, you know, or Monday night football, you know, or, you know, when I, like I said, I took those yearly trips to Vegas, I would come back feeling so guilty because I could have taken my family on an all-inclusive vacation somewhere, you know what I mean? And and spent that money to take my family on vacation instead of telling my wife that we were too broke to go on vacation, you know, (laughs) the next three months, you know, so it's, it's, But no, I would have protected my right to gamble, you know, because it hadn't got me to the point of desperation. It was the alcohol that was getting me there at that time, and then and then it flipped within a year. It flipped; it became the gambling and not the alcohol that was the problem, you know.
1: Man, I'm not going to lie. So I don't, I don't want to say I don't gamble. I generally don't feel compelled to do much gambling. Uh, and it doesn't seem to make my life unmanageable in the small ways that I do participate. Like I'm a guy who, you know, if we're on the job site and, and we want to bet something on who's buying lunch for the other guy once a week, I'm down with that. That's fun. We can do that. Right. That seems reasonable, but I never want to bet any real amount of money. I play fantasy football though. And you know, I'm like, well, I get an allowance. It's a hundred bucks out of my allowance for the season. That's like 17 weeks of joy for me. That's cool. <laughs> but you kind of hurt my feelings just now when you were like, oh, you spend your Sundays only watching football and not really hanging with your kids. And I'm like, fuck, that's what I do during football. <laughs> I like football. God damn it. So I don't know that, that hurt me a little bit, Billy. I'm, I'm curious for you to bring up what you were talking to me about with the, uh, the collectibles and stuff.
0: Yeah. So my wife was, she works in a lot of, uh, in the treatment field. And I'll just say that. And she had mentioned that she's heard of people that have, uh, I guess they considered a gambling addiction with, like, collectible items, maybe baseball cards or action figures or things like that where they're investing tons of money thinking they're going to make money later, you know, and that being, like, a an addiction.
2: It very well could fit under, under the definition. You know, they're risking money or something of value for an outcome that's not guaranteed, you know, so it could probably fit under that definition. Yeah, I feel like that's that- what I mean.
1: That definition just messes me up because I'm like, Christ, isn't that what I do when like I fall in love with somebody? Like I'm risking my <laughs> my livelihood or my life or something of value for an outcome that's not guaranteed. I don't know. It just it that definition is very interesting to me.
2: Yeah, whenever I go into those recovery presentations, they always say I risk my life every day when I'm when I use, you know, when I drink, <laughs> when I go out. I was like, yeah, I don't. You know, I don't know if that formally fits under the definition, but there's, we definitely take a lot of risks out there. That's for sure.
0: This episode has been brought to you in part by Voices of Hope, Inc., a nonprofit recovery organization made up of people in recovery, family members, and allies. Together, members strive to protect the dignity of those that use drugs and those in recovery by advocating for treatment harm reduction and support resources, and mentoring. Please visit us at www.voicesofhopemaryland.org and consider donating to our calls.
1: What kind of... So I, I'm sure there's like your typical signs that maybe we'd be more aware of and it wouldn't hurt to list them here either uh, of how to recognize that gambling is a problem in our lives but maybe there's also some more subtle signs that people don't think of do you mind like going through kind of a list of things that would make people aware that they might want to seek help
2: you know a lot of preoccupation you know Mm. they're there but they're not there you can tell something's going on but you just don't know quite what all of a sudden you, you know you notice they're broke and you don't know why they're asking for money and it's, you can't explain why, you know, what you worked all last week. Why all of a sudden you need money? You know, it's uh, subtle things like that. It's funny. I met a, a woman. It was a mom and her son um, at the casino because they were signing up for the voluntary exclusion program. Do you all know what that is?
1: No. Oh, is that where you'd say you you don't want to be allowed in the casino anymore?
2: Exactly. <laughs> it's it's interesting. I, I consider it to be like an abuse for alcoholics, (laughs) where you get sick if you do it. Um, And the crazy thing is we get a lot of violations. You know, there's a Mm. lot of people that violate that program and it shows the powerlessness over it. So here they can sign themselves out for two years or lifetime in Maryland. And what that means is once they sign up, they are not allowed on the premises. If they get caught there, they're considered illegally trespassing. And we have a lot of them going there anyway. But I was um, meeting this woman with her son and um, while he was back in the office signing up, she said, I didn't know what was going on with him. I knew I didn't smell alcohol. He's never done drugs, but he, he was staying out so late. He wasn't getting home till four o'clock in the morning. You know, he was broke and I didn't know, I I, I didn't think he was doing drugs and he was gambling, you know? Mm. So if it's something that seems unexplainable and you know, they're not drinking or using, it might just be they're gambling.
0: That's yeah. and- Okay. i was on the ga website they also have like a 20 questions on there as well that walks through you know looking for signs and symptoms so that i thought was pretty helpful as well
2: yeah we have a oh sorry we have a questionnaire too on our website org, and mm-hmm. uh same type of thing as the 20 questions where you can take a screening assessment and what your score is, um, whether, you know, you are a problem gambler, but I love those 20 questions they are great, you know, and it's, it's a reminder for me, you know, I'd say for probably 15, 20 years, I was probably answering yes to 10 or 12 or 14 of those questions, but it it only took that last year before I'm answering yes to all 20, you know, Mm -hmm. so it's progressive, just like drugs and alcohol, you know, with time and eventually once it grabs you, it grabs you hard, you know,
1: I think if I take nothing else out of this episode, and there's a lot to take, but just that idea that you said preoccupation, I feel like it's something I need to maybe just look at more in my life. Not so much for me specifically around the gambling idea, but I think that preoccupation idea is so huge to any form of something that is causing life unmanageability, right? Because we, we can justify or rationalize or say well i'm showing up for work every day I, I spend time with my kids i'm doing all these positive things but am i really there while i'm doing it right and is my brain somewhere else am i constantly thinking about this other thing whatever this other thing is and yeah that that takes a toll on a life man when you're not really there it's like you're just kind of daydreaming through it almost you know
0: like ghost walking oh, through life right. and I, absolutely I, I, read, right. I read something uh, and I can't remember where about gambling addiction that there's like some uh, or there can be some fantasy associated with it. Like, oh, when I win this money, I'm going to do this and that. And then I'm going to take care of my family and do all these great things. And then I'll be able to support all these great you know, things. But right now I got to win. <laughs> oh,
2: no, that's a great point. They call that the dream world of a compulsive gambler. Mm-hmm. There's actually a reading in the yellow book of Gamblers Anonymous about that. You know once i hit the big win all my dreams are gonna come true about buying family members luxury cars and designer clothes and you know once we hit that big win and then it says says sadly they will struggle back and dream more dreams without this dream world life for them would not be tolerable mm. and you know and you can think about the fact that it's, it doesn't matter the amount of money you gamble you know what's a lot for one person may not be a lot for another and vice versa but there's people living on the streets, you know, that have fixed incomes that are spending, even if it's $20 a week on lottery tickets, that's money they could be putting food in their stomach, you know, and it's, it's, um it's all about the proportion of their income, you know, and we're not accusing anybody just because you gamble. If if you can set a limit on your time and money and pay all your bills and, you know, it's not taking you away from your life's responsibilities and, you know, 90 to Probably 90 to 95% of people can gamble normally, but the ones that can't, you know, it's, it's a, it can become a, a serious problem. It can really hold them back in ways they don't even realize it's holding them back. Like I said, you're just bleeding a little bit of money here, a little bit of money there. But for some people, it's important money that they could be spending elsewhere, you know.
1: Is there like, you know, there's the uh, financial advice of like, don't spend more than this percentage of your salary on a house or whatever on your on your rent. Is there an actual percentage for what you consider to be a line for gambling?
2: I mean, it probably all depends on how much, you know, how much disposable income you have left over after paying all your bills. I actually was just talking to a therapist the other day about, I guess, a couple that worked it out. Because there's harm reduction for gamblers, just like there is, you know, for drugs and alcohol, where somebody may not want to stop gambling. Like you were saying, you know, Maybe they still want to play fantasy football, you know, maybe they still want to, they want to hold on to this activity or that activity. They realize as long as they're not calling in bets with the bookie, you know, or whatever sports gambling or going to the casino, they'll be fine. And I think the wife allowed them two and a half percent of their income is allowed to be spent towards Mm. gambling. So they're monitoring that goal. That's the harm reduction plan. And as long as they keep it there and they're not spending too much time and energy on it, you know. So, you know, that's the goal for them. And then eventually they can kind of see that, you know, maybe I can't control this. Because I know for me, once I start getting that area of my brain working again, it's going to lead to other things. Do you know what I mean? So I try to keep that area quiet. You know, I, I don't even buy raffle tickets anymore. You know, <laughs> just because just I just don't want to get that part of my brain moving. You know, I relapsed in 2016. I had a very relapse, brief relapse on poker. Um, I thought, you know, I, I was about to go through my divorce. I was getting, you know, those, I was getting irritable, restless, discontent. I was a couple years in a recovery you know, and I was thinking, oh, maybe I can go back and just play poker. You can't lose as much blackjack. I can sit out hands all night, you know, and the first few times it went fine. I left at a decent hour, you know, just took a couple hundred dollars with me. But the last time I was there, the third or fourth time, I ended up being there till 10 o'clock the next morning. You know, mm-hmm. I went to the cash machine, you know, which I promised myself I wouldn't do. I crazy enough went down to the blackjack table because I had like $50 and then you needed $100 to buy in on the poker table. So I said, all right, let me go see if I can double this $50. Of course, I lost the $50 <laughs> right away I Ended up on the cash yes. machine. But I was there till 10 or 11 o'clock the next morning. And I had plans with my family that day. And I, I woke up at like three o'clock. I had like six missed calls from my family and it just brought back flashbacks mm-hmm. of you know during my bottom and i said I-, I can't go there anymore i saw exactly where it was taking me you know once i start i just never know when i want to stop you know
1: this might sound so minuscule or petty to somebody who's really struggling with problem gambling i don't know but i, I was 11 years old uh my father had given me like eight dollars to go down to this little local fair in my neighborhood and they had one of the wheels where you know you put your money on some thing and it spins the wheel and it happened to be that the things you put your money on was money it was like a dollar bill or two dollar bills or five dollar bills and i started winning and i ended up with like 51 dollars at some point to an 11 year old kid and i was like holy fuck, i am the king right <laughs> And I kept playing and I kept playing and then I got down to like 30 some and I was like, oh, I got to get, if I can get back up to 51, I'll stop. Right. And I left there with like three bucks <laughs> and it hurt so fucking bad. I have just never, ever, ever wanted to do it again. Like it it's really It's probably the it best thing that ever happened to you.
2: It's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> probably the best yeah. thing that ever happened. But then you, know, you found it's heroin. So.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny you brought up that wheel because the guy that I told you that, shared he's got 23 years clean and sober and he said gambling is what brought him the, you know has made him think about taking his life that wheel he laughs because he said you're gonna laugh what i play he said all i play is that wheel <laughs> he's lost tons of money i used mm. to play that wheel just to relax you know i put a dollar and the two dollars and the five dollars mm. and whatever and uh but he's lost a fortune playing on that wheel. That mm. literally took him to the point of suicidal thinking. Isn't that crazy?
1: That is crazy. So I've the only time I ever went to a casino, uh, we went on our honeymoon, my wife and I. And when we had a layover in Puerto Rico on the way down and the way back. So when we saw that there was a casino in the airport and we saw it on the way down and we were like, all right, we'll put this money aside. We'll each have 100 bucks. We'll spend it on the way back So we got some time. We went in there and I spent like 40 bucks out of my hundred and I was so miserable and I just gave her the other 60. I'm like, I don't give a fuck that we're spending this money here. I don't want to do it. It just does not bring me any joy whatsoever. So I don't know what that is for me, but it it was like, I attributed to that 11 year old experience. I'm like, I just don't <laughs> like it anymore. It doesn't, it doesn't hit my scratch, my itch, I guess.
2: That's awesome. Yeah. And I hear that a lot of times in the recovery presentations that I take in, you know, they say, no, I lost $20 one time. I'm never doing that again. You know, I don't like losing money. And you're right. It's, it's all about someone's itch. You know, yeah. it's what scratches their itch. It's a great way of putting it. And, you know, everybody's got their vices but we have to be careful. We all know, you know, it's a whack-a-mo game. And that's what I tell yeah. everybody in the presentations. I said, if your mind's anything like mine, it's not going to crave vegetables and exercise when you get out of here. It's most likely going to start clinging to some other self-destructive behavior. And I just want to make sure it's not gambling, you know?
0: Yeah. And it was interesting when you talked about like day trading or, or doing the cryptocurrency stuff. Like I, cause I'm not a person, like I don't, go to casinos or any of that. Probably wouldn't. My grandfather had a gambling problem when we were kids and we heard all the stories. And like when we were kids, he would take us to Pimlico Racetrack, you know, while he's betting on horses all day. (laughs) So we had, you know, some horror stories growing up. So I just always stayed away from it. But I could easily see myself getting into like day trading or cryptocurrency. I've had some friends get into that and tell me about it and started looking into it a little bit you know and could see myself going on that track and getting caught up in that type of gambling yeah so funnily enough and, and this is you know the
1: antithesis to to what i was saying about me not liking gambling my itch is scratched by control and so there's just too much risk in gambling for me. <laughs> it's like no i got i gotta know i gotta make force every so it's not from a healthy place all the time <laughs> right it, it's kind of unhealthily but it's coming from the other direction it's like i can't risk that money that's not fun at all i gotta <laughs> control everything in my life <laughs>
2: a good point you know i i have heard a lot of times from people in recovery the ones that were dealing drugs did a lot of gambling because i mm-hmm. think you're right you know if you're in a substance abuse you know drugs a lot of times they want to spend that money on the drugs mm-hmm. although i have heard a couple people told me they gambled to try to buy the drugs but most of the time they were using that money straight towards the drugs but the ones that were dealing the drugs and had that extra cash a lot of them were gambling mm-hmm. and you know you don't think about that street dice too. You know, I was never mm-hmm. a dice world, but that's a, a lot. A lot of them share about playing dice on the streets, you know, and uh, you know, I was never too into that, but that's definitely a fo- form of gambling too. That's, that's been big with a lot of people.
1: So you had mentioned before we started recording uh, the prevalence of males in the gambling recovery community. And I, I found that interesting. I mean, AA, we, we know the big book still has the two wives section, you know, because obviously only men were alcoholics, I guess, when they started that. But I mean, predominantly in the world, that's probably who was allowed to be alcoholics per se. Um, and you know, I, I know in some of the, the sex addiction meetings, there's that same kind of feel, right? Because it's more, I don't want to say socially acceptable, but, but men have been kind of, socially guided that way, (laughs) right? Like, you know, it's easy to talk about men masturbating. Everybody does it. It's a thing about it, whatever we want to say about it. But like, you know, boys will be boys. But women, oh, that's weird. Now they're dirty or unclean or something. Yeah. Yeah. So does that apply to gambling too? Is that a thing? Or Like you had mentioned that maybe women weren't coming just because it was uncomfortable. But is it also a thing where like societally it wasn't okay for women to gamble for a certain amount of time?
2: You kind of got my wheels turned on that because I started thinking too, you know, back in the day, there was a lot more homemakers, you know, women were staying home and maybe didn't have access to money like they do. But now there's a lot of career women out there that have their own money and, and there's a lot more access to gambling now, you know, um, the online gambling, you know, and um, like I had a woman that called the helpline number the other day, she's playing a game called fish tables which I had never heard of. And apparently you can go online and you join a group and I've read up on it. It's one of the most common, most entertaining forms of gambling out there. It's, it's huge hmm. online, but um, there, you know, there's a lot more access to it and there's a lot more non-traditional forms of gambling now that maybe attract gambling uh, women more. But what I was more saying was, I think there was more of a stigma with women coming into the rooms of gamblers anonymous. Maybe like back in the day it was a lot more stigmatizing for a woman to go in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. Right. Like early in the big book, that's all they talk about were men. Very few, you know, times were women mentioned. So it might have been the same type of thing where maybe women were embarrassed to come in the rooms if they did have a gambling problem and i think those telephone and virtual meetings during the pandemic made them a lot more comfortable to come in because they weren't walking in the room with eight to ten guys and being the only woman in the room you know and i saw that a lot of times like i said i've been to meetings where there's only one or two women there and all the rest were guys and like i also said i know some women in long-term gambling recovery that share now they're like, I am so glad we have all these women joining our fellowship now, you know, and we saw a huge increase in women during the pandemic. And I think it's because of the virtual meetings being available. And it also connected so many people that wouldn't have otherwise met if they were just going to their same local meeting Mm -hmm. with the same five to 10 people every week. Now, all of a sudden you got everybody from across the state joining on one, you know, call or virtual meeting. And, um, it brings everyone together so the women don't feel as alone because there's always you know at least a few women on the meetings
1: going back to that uh i believe you call it the self-exemption list that you can put yourself self-exclusion, on self exclusion yeah self-exclusion Vol- list, voluntary
2: yeah. exclusion list is what it's called
1: so i had actually heard people previously some years back tell me that that was like really effective and they weren't allowed to walk in and they were stopped at the door when they tried to and then i had spoken to someone recently who said he's on the list and it hasn't helped him. Not one bit. He goes in there all the time. They don't say nothing to him. He said, what I can't do is if I hit a big jackpot, I can't go cash it myself. (laughs) He's like, but yeah, yeah, they don't stop me.
2: It goes both ways. I know some people it's been really helpful because they don't want to risk getting arrested or getting a, you know, criminal citation because it goes on your criminal record as a misdemeanor um, trespassing charge. So that threat, of that because of their jobs or just because they do not want to get in legal trouble. It keeps them out of there. They don't even think about going back. Um, but then there are others, you know, like you said, some casinos may be stricter than others about check-in or catching people, you know, um, and, but eventually you go on there enough times, eventually you will get caught. Like you said, too, if you hit a jackpot, not only can you get a criminal citation, you don't get to you don't get to collect your (laughs) Uh, money and believe me i've had people call they're so mad this one girl called me she said i went in there like five ten times i finally hit a jackpot they're gonna take my money and arrest me (laughs) and they don't get to keep the money by the way it goes into that treatment fund Uh, people think the casinos keep it it gets deposited mm -hmm. in their treatment fund but it gets confiscated from them Mm -hmm. and i know another woman um she violated twice on the voluntary exclusion list, and, and she said she called me. She was so upset because uh, she had talked to her mother that morning. She had gotten some really traumatic news. They had talked about something that really traumatically triggered her, and she went straight to the casino. She didn't care if she was on the voluntary exclusion list or not. That was her drug. She said, I don't drink. Mm. I don't use, but that is my medicine, and I'm sick, and they're treating me like a criminal, you know, is the way she mm. felt because she had – chips on her or vouchers and they wanted to take her the chips and confiscate it she did not like that she fought them tooth and nail not to take her money and it turned into a big mess for her and um she's doing fantastic today you know she actually took that experience and turned it into a positive but uh it's like a drug for some people it's like alcoholics drinking on abuse you hear about it happen all the time or on vivitrol you know they, they mm-hmm. do it anyway that's the insanity of the addiction and, and but that also shows you how cunning and baffling gambling mm-hmm. is too like here they don't trust themselves not to go in there if they don't have the threat of a criminal citation and they go in there anyway right you know? so kind of, kind of t- and we there's a lot of people violating i can tell you that. and they catch a lot of people too mm-hmm. so there are some that that don't get caught but there are a lot of them that do get caught too
1: i'm curious you know because gambling seems so not specific especially by its its own definition right what's the most interesting or strangest story you've heard of somebody coming in and being able to identify in with the feelings or the process of being gambling's anonymous, but maybe not necessarily being something you pictured being gambling previously. Like what's the most fascinating one you've encountered?
2: I'd say probably the crypto and the day trading, okay. just because we're starting to see more and more people coming into the rooms with that addiction, you know, mm-hmm. and recognizing that this is insane. And, you know, the thing about the crypto market is it's open 24 seven, so you can trade at four, five, six o'clock in the morning. It doesn't matter what time; it's always there for you and waiting, you know. So I, that's been the, one of the more interesting. Definitely, um, I'm seeing a lot more people that are recognizing that. Hey, this is out of control. I need to get help. Is this gambling? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's gambling. You're mm-hmm. risking everything, you know, put in the market and it's gone. You know, so they're they're pretty upset.
1: Does every state have a facility or, or organization like the one you're working at to help problem gambling?
2: I think all the ones that have casinos or legal gambling in their state. And I'm glad you asked that question. So obviously I'm just with Maryland, but, um, there's the national council on problem gambling. And if you go to the website, which is www.ncpgambling.org, um, they have a list by state of resources. And if you go on there, you can click on whatever your state is. It'll tell you what the council in your state is. And then you can get all the resources in your state. They also have a 1-800-522-4700 helpline. So their helpline is 1-800-522-4700. And I've heard talk that they may change it to Mm -hmm. 1-800-GAMBLER, which would be great because, the Gambler Helpline identifies whatever zip code you're in and, and connects you to the state. But then different states have their own local um, 800 helpline number as well. But I would be happy if NCPG had our helpline number because that means anybody calling them would also be connected to us if they were in the state of Maryland. But right now it's 1-800-522-4700. So you can call that number or go to www.ncp. Gambling.org is their website, and then just hit help by state, go to your state, and it'll tell you if there is a council in your state, and a lot of the states do have their own council now.
1: If they want one eight hundred gambler, they're gonna to have to buy the rights from Kenny Rogers. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: Uh, most of our audience is probably too young to even know what the hell I'm talking about. Anyway, I <laughs> got, I
2: got it. I got it.
1: <laughs> um, so what happens when when they call? You obviously said there's you know free rehabilitation available, which is incredible what kind of other things can you offer or suggestions or or what do you do? Do you like guide people to seek treatment or do you generally guide people to what are you looking for? Like, how can I help you? What, what's your goal? Once they call,
2: I'm so glad you asked. Um, so what happens when they call it? Obviously nobody's calling a helpline number if they're on, on a, a good run. Um, <laughs> they've just gone through a real bad run. A lot of times it's early in the morning. They've been at the casino all night, you know, and, uh, And they're in a pretty hopeless state, you know, and um, so the first thing I try to do is is obviously give them that seed of hope that was given to me, you know, no matter how far down the scale you've gone, you can turn it around if you stop turning to the problem as a solution. And Mm -hmm. and I always tell a gambler, I know the hardest thing you're ever going to do is to to stop chasing your losses because they may not want to gamble anymore. But they owe this person money, that person money, this bill, that bill. They're they're facing eviction. They're facing losing their car. And all of a sudden, they get their paycheck on Friday. And they're thinking, okay, well, maybe I can pay this bill and that bill. But how am I going to pay this bill, that bill, this bill, and that bill? You know what I mean? So they're thinking the only thing I can do is try to go back and win that money back. So I try to convince them that chasing their losses is not the answer is the first thing I try to do. I try to give them hope that there is another way up and out. And then, like you said, I, I asked them, you know, what are you looking for in your recovery? I can offer you a counselor if you want treatment. There's no cost treatment. Um, if you want to go to residential, we have two residentials, or I could just find you outpatient. A lot of them don't want to take off time from work because obviously money is a problem. So I, I get them into the hands of an outpatient treatment provider. Like I said, I can offer them, you know, the telephone meetings or daily if they want to call into a meeting. A lot of times I can jump on a meeting with them that night there's another group called gamblers in recovery they have 24 7 uh gambling meetings across the world mm-hmm. so you can literally jump on there any time of the day and there are also meetings on there for family members as well so that's a great resource i offer them if they're not into the 12-step spiritual approach you know there's um smart recovery you know if they want to go to those kinds of meetings um There's Celebrate Recovery if they're real into the more religious approach. So I try to cater it to whatever their recovery needs are. If they need housing resources, you know, some of them are getting evicted, losing their homes or whatever. I offer them housing resources across the state. um, Legal aid, if if they're in, if they, you know, if they need legal resources, if they meet the requirements, there's free legal aid um, within the state. So whatever whatever resources I can offer them to give them some hope, uh, consumer credit counseling is one, too, that will actually run their credit report and help them to figure out a plan to address their creditors. And they'll actually call and even set up payment plans with their creditors um, or advise them if they think bankruptcy is the best route for them to take, you know. So whatever I can do to help them, you know, just get them on the path to recovery. But the big thing is hopefully convince them to stop chasing their losses. And that's easier said than done because a lot of times i'll talk to them and it'll be three or four weeks they'll go back you know into hiding i don't hear from them and then they'll pop back up and say man i wish i listened you know Mm. i thought it was bad last time i called now it's way worse and i've heard that many times because Mm. they're just not quite done yet you know
1: is the uh did you did you mention like counseling or therapy services in there is that free as well
2: It's free, no cost. We have over 100 treatment providers across the state, outpatient providers, um, just counselors, addictions counselors that we also provide trainings to clinicians so that they can integrate problem gambling into their current mental health and substance abuse service system. Um, So they have a little more specific training, but they're basically addictions counselors that have taken some problem gambling training and they offer the no cost treatment. And um, so they're reimbursed at a Medicaid rate Um, for the treatment and that the gambler doesn't have to pay a dime or their family member. Again, sometimes it's a spouse calling saying, I can't keep my husband or wife out of the casino. We're about to get evicted from our, you know, whatever. And uh, we we just lost our car. At least I can get them into the hands of a counselor so they can get the support until the gambler's ready. Cause a lot of times it's the family member making the call before the gambler's ready to stop. The gambler wants to keep chasing their losses. Mm -hmm. The family member just wants them to stop.
1: Hmm. how many people would you say elect for that service I, and this is kind of a personal question i think my job actually signed up to be one of the organizations you work with and i don't think we've gotten anybody yet so i was just curious how many people actually you know elect to do that or, or take that
2: quite a few um hmm. you know some people aren't in you know they don't want to share their personal business in a group you know um mm-hmm. i i would say at least Probably 50% up to it. Now, whether they show up to the appointment, that can be another story. It's just like <laughs> substance abuse. They, you know, they maybe act like they're ready when they call. Whether they're actually gonna make the call and show up to their first appointment, that can be another story. But I can tell you I sent up probably 75% of them, at least accept referrals to a counselor. Mm. Um, but obviously it's a much smaller percentage that actually make the phone call schedule and show up for their first appointment and i've been trying to warm transfer them which i found is really effective if i actually call the counselor while they're on the line with me and um, make that first appointment with them for screening but you know some of them you know i i had one that just they got a little freaked out during the screening. They were asking a bunch of personal questions. They didn't understand why they needed to get so deep into their history. <laughs> and why are they asking all these personal questions? Cause they want to have an idea of who you are and your background mm-hmm. so they, they can treat you properly. And I explained that to them. And they were more comfortable with that answer, but I still don't think they've scheduled for their next appointment. Um, but it, it's a pretty high percentage, at least except referrals. It's, whether they fall up or not that's that can be a different story because some of them go back out and gamble it's just like substance abuse they may call at the time and sound like they're ready, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're ready just yet
1: How hard has it been for you as a a person who practices the gambling anonymous program of, of you know complete abstinence from gambling uh How hard has it been for you to navigate that that's one part of your life and then in another place you know you offer these other ideas of possibly harm reduction for gambling like does that is that a struggle for you at all
2: no i keep an open mind you know if if it's reducing the harm and i've worked with a lot of, of gamblers that you know that i've been working with for two years and i've seen their progression towards total abstinence or i've seen that they've been able to control it some of them you know a few Um, so I'm able to keep an open mind and I've had some that have tried to, you know, mingle with the fantasy football mingle with this and it's gone. They hit another bottom. They call me, but you have to let them find their own way. We all know if we try to force someone to do something and we try to, you know, slam down the law that doesn't go well, they're going to do the exact opposite. So I got to meet them where they're at, you know, and and keep an open mind and let them find their own way. But that's why I really want to get them in the hands of a counselor too, get them scheduled because they can work on them towards whatever their recovery goals are, you know, whether it's total abstinence, just cutting back, reducing the harm, you know, whatever that is. But over time they generally see how destructive it's being on their own life, but they have to see it on their own. You know, mm. I can point it out to them, but until they see it on their own, you know, it's up to them.
1: How is the attitude in gambling anonymous? So why I bring this up, um, you know, in, in maybe a narcotics anonymous, the attitude towards harm reduction is like, we want you here, but you can't celebrate clean time or talk about your experience necessarily sometimes, or you can't be of service or hold certain service positions. Uh, and I feel like that could be sometimes off-putting I, I you know i guess what i'm picturing for gambling anonymous it's probably pretty similar like hey if you're living a harm reduction modality of your recovery that's great and we want you here but uh, do they even celebrate clean time in gambling anonymous is that a thing
2: oh yeah they definitely do big time um and it's a great question because like i had someone i was helping the other day and she, and she said one of the biggest reasons why i gamble is because i'm lonely I moved mm-hmm. here from out of state, I don't have any friends and I said, well, you're not going to be lonely anymore. I'm going to introduce you to a lot of people that understand you. And um and she she jumped right in. She's got a referral to a treatment provider. She started attending meetings regular, you know, uh immediately. She got the names and numbers of some other women in the program and she immediately connected. She loved it. But she got freaked out because she's like wait a minute, but they don't want me to gamble at all. And I really like, you know, like my husband wanted me to buy some numbers with the, at the Kentucky Derby last week. I didn't do it because I knew that would be gambling. But like, I usually do this bingo thing with my friends every year. Like I still want to do that. And I said, look, your goals are your goals. Whatever's working for you is what works for you. You have to determine what's the best balance in your life or your recovery. And, uh, I said, I wouldn't go advertising that you think it's okay to control gambling if you want to keep attending the meetings because she loves the fellowship. She doesn't want to stop going to meetings. Right. I said, just reset your date. Just say, I gambled yesterday. You know, I said, because they're always going to welcome you back. Uh, you know if you just gambled the day before they want you to come back and they will welcome you with open arms but i wouldn't go promoting that you're <laughs> practicing harm reduction either and then, oh yeah i just gamble here and there just say hey i just gamble yesterday you know and leave it at that but you're right it does affect what service positions you have because like you have to have 90 days of abstinence to be able to chair a meeting mm-hmm. you know so if you constantly are resetting your date every you know 30 days and you're not going to be able to have the service positions, you know, that that you might be able to have if you had long-term complete abstinence from it. So it does affect you there as far as you know being able to be of service and get involved. Um it's yeah, it it, it can be frowned upon if if you're promoting um that I'm a control gambler while you're right. at meetings. That it def- it's like doing that in NA or AA. You know, you can't go, well I go to happy hour Just have a couple beers a couple times a week, (laughs) but, uh, you know, it doesn't go well. And I know NA, even with Suboxone and and Methadone, I've had friends in NA said uh, they almost chased me out of the room. And, And, you know, one guy was on Suboxone for six months and NA didn't look at that as clean time at the meetings he was going at. And he said, "Thank God, I met a couple guys in there that were really understanding that kept me coming around because otherwise I would have walked right out of there, and God only knows what would have happened." And he's completely clean now; he's not on anything. But you got to let people find their own recovery. You know, it's you got to meet them wherever they're at, and um, and I try to keep a really open mind.
1: Well, and that's where I think, and it's interesting because I didn't know that this was even a thing in like the gambling recovery world, but I think this is a really big challenge of. 2022 is trying to come to some kind of universal understanding right because these communities of 12-step fellowships they are probably the largest place out there to find a community of people like you that you can identify with that you can feel less you know all by yourself in this problem and yet the the connotation that if you're not doing it this specific way you're not completely included even if you're welcoming to that individual that still feels like, well, I don't belong here, right? Or I have to live in a secret life of shame in order to stay here. And that's, I think that's one of our biggest challenges in the recovery community moving forward is figuring out how to navigate that, whether that's different fellowships, whether that's a different way we operate inside of a fellowship, I I don't know the answer, but it's really a challenging place to make everybody feel like, because the best chance we have at success is having them there. Right. No matter what. And it's like, how do we keep them wanting to be there while also, you know, holding on to, I guess, people's standards of what the fellowship is?
2: That's a great uh, question. I, I wish I had the answer to that, yeah. too. <laughs> you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's a great point. I, You know, they just tell them to keep coming back. And, you know, I know a guy that jumps on the meetings and he gambles, he relapses probably three times a week. But he just keeps coming back and just keeps saying, hey, I, this is an honest program. Just being honest, I gambled today. But you're right, you know, it's that having them feel like maybe they don't belong there, you know, or they don't fit in because they're not totally abstinent. It's it's a challenge. It is a challenge. You're absolutely right.
0: So, oh, go ahead. I, I just had a question about the, uh, you mentioned you're a certified gambling peer. Like- uh-huh. So we have that, of course, in recovery as well. It's through uh, the University of Maryland, actually, is who handles it for addiction recovery. Who handles it for gambling, and what's that kind of brief it's process? It's the of? same
2: peer certification, ICRC okay. or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, same Behavioral Health Board, same everything, MABCP. Yeah, I, I forget the yeah. niche. It's the same. That exact was it,
0: thing. MABCP.
2: <laughs> yeah, I have the same same certification as all other peers. Um, I just get the the gambling specific. Training, obviously, at my organization and hmm. because of my lived experience with problem gambling, but I had the same certifications every other peer across the state.
0: Awesome. So if someone wanted to engage in becoming a, a gambling peer, they would just sort of start on that same track and exactly. then they can get gambling. It's
2: all the same trainings, Okay, exact same thing, same certification.
0: Oh, great will
1: we're uh we're coming up against time and this has been an incredible episode i want to leave a little space here for anything that you wanted to say on this episode that we didn't quite ask about or any more websites or resources or phone numbers that you wanted to list so that people can be aware or you know find help for this so it's your it's your show for the next few minutes
2: <laughs> you guys covered a lot of bases you had a you yeah. asked a lot of great questions i think we covered a lot you know the main thing is just if you think your gambling's become a problem, you know, um, just nip it in the bud, you know, and, and, um, call out there is help available, you know, and, um, the 1-800-522-4700 www.ncpgambling.org just reach out for help. And, you know, like we said, if maybe you're not even looking to stop gambling completely, that's understandable, but, you know, maybe, maybe find an addictions counselor, uh, look on the website. Look up NCPG. There's also counselors by state as well on that website. Mm-hmm. Maybe find a counselor and work f- towards harm reduction. Just don't let it get out of control because there is an invisible line that you can cross, just like with drugs and alcohol. Once you cross that invisible line, it can really, it can really get ugly. And I just don't want to see anybody cross that invisible line that doesn't have to, you mm-hmm. know. We don't have, I think we get to choose our bottoms, you know, and um, we, we don't have to hit a severe bottom to get help or at least start addressing the issue
1: i think the one lingering thought i i'm going to be left with from this is that because every time uh you know someone with problem gambling goes to a casino or participates in that behavior they're funding free treatment for when they're ready that if we legalize drugs, we could also have that same idea. Every time yeah. someone uses drugs, they could be funding free treatment. For we do. Everybody. It's called pharmaceutical industry. <laughs> yeah.
0: so. All right. I get well, a lot of
2: people on substance abuse. They say, like, why isn't there free treatment for
0: that? You know? yeah, well, the pharmaceutical yeah, companies make plenty of money on us. Yeah. They don't need to. Well, there you go. They yeah. should be funding treatment.
1: Will, it has been a pleasure to have you on. Thank you for coming on and, and informing us and the audience, man. We, uh, you know. To know more about this gambling problem and and uh, what they can do about seeking help, man. Thank you so much for your time
0: today. Yes, thank, thank you. Thank you,
2: Jason and Billy. Enjoyed it.
0: All right, have a good day. I yeah. have a
2: great day. You too. Good luck
0: at softball. <laughs> hey, thank you. I appreciate it.
2: <laughs> Bye, guys.
0: Bye. See you.
1: Did you like this episode? Share it with people you think might get something out of it. Check out the rest of our episodes at recoverysortof.com. Also, while you're there, you can find ways to link up with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, YouTube, anything. We're always looking for new ideas. Got an idea you want us to look into? Reach out to us.